So let's do this. Um, let's turn to Acts 27. We're going to read another big portion, not because we're trying to fly through Acts and get done, but because it's a big, long story that you kind of, you cut it up, it'd be weird. Um, anyone want to give like an update to where we are with um, Paul at this point and the journey he's on? Anyone want to give an update? Again, like normal, I'll make you mostly right if you're wrong. I'll help you. I'll smooth it so that you make it. So don't worry about it. He's in Roman custody. He is in custody for what? What was he? What was he found guilty of? Inciting a riot-ish. Yeah, there's like nothing yet. He's been found guilty. He's just kind of. He's just kind of. You're right. Yeah, it's like mm, that is why the the Romans want him is because they see it as inciting a riot because people tried to kill him. To mob kill him. Um, so yes, that's true. And then, how, where is he in that process? Do we know? Who has he seen? Who has he been tried by right now? Agrippa. Agrippa? Who first, though? Festus. Who first before that, even? <laughs> you're, yeah, you're naming them all. Let's just keep going. Like, you and I will just do this. The Sanhedrin, right? The Sanhedrin first, yeah. Sanhedrin... Gives us like mock trial. They just slap him in the face pretty much over and over when they answer. When he answers, they don't like. They strike him. He gets upset, angry at them. They have this like semi-Paul aggressive. Do what? He baits them into it. Yeah, he baits them into it basically. So so we have this, uh, this, I think, very much like Jesus turned the other cheek when he gets hit. Being like, do you need to hit the other side? Is that what we need to do here? Is that going to make you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so then he, again, goes to who after that? Festus. Okay, and then Agrippa. Awesome. And then who? Now. Right. He appealed to Caesar. Okay. So as he appeals to Caesar on this, um, talk to me about this real quick. And uh, we won't go back and forth the entire time, but I kind of want to do this a little more than we have lately. Um, talk to me about his thoughts on that plan, okay? How long has he known he's going to go to Caesar? Is he two years under house arrest? Right, right. That's been the plan from him for about two years, right? So he's hoping to go there, hoping to get that opportunity, right? Because what? He wants to give his story to Caesar, he, is, is he trying to get free at this point? Does it seem so? No. It doesn't seem so. He's in it for the long haul here. He really wants to take his story to Caesar. We know this because he would have been set free this last trial. right? Herod was like, he's not, there's been nothing he's done, but now it's documented he's appealed to Caesar, so we have to send him on. You know, the, We would just say he's free. We would say he's done nothing wrong or lash him or would have beat him to appease the Jews a bit, which has happened to him before. He'd probably be fine with that, unfortunately. But let's, they could have just done that and given him back, right? And just said, just live your life. Go. Continue your missionary journeys. Continue sailing around the world. Continue encouraging believers. Do, do those things. That's fine. But instead, he had said, no, I do want to go all the way to Caesar. I want to take this as high as I can. I want to take this and really give my story to Rome, right? And so that's, that's the goal that he has right now. Um, and we're going to find him now in the midst of that, and he finally is about, you know, going to be on his way, okay? 
So we're going to read a rather long story, and then we'll just talk about it. Okay, but stay with me. It's, it's a, a good one, you know, as opposed to a bad one. <laughs> this is a bad story in here. Okay. And when it was decided that we should sell for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, I don't know how to say that at all, so I just spit out a thing that was worse. I practiced this morning even, and I just said Adramitium, I don't know. The ship's name is inconsequential to the story. Um, Which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lysa, or Lycia, sorry. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And the winds did not allow us to go any further. We had sailed into the lee of Crete off Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. So right now we have the, the journey is not going as the plan kind of already. Um, what they would do is they would wait and gather um, a large number of prisoners together usually, especially if you're going to appeal somewhere to like Caesar or whatever, or you're going to appeal and have a trial somewhere else. They'd wait, gather up a bunch of prisoners, have guards, a centurion, this whole thing, and they'd basically just take the prisoners along with them, boat to boat, whoever was going where, as best they could, okay, and get them there when you can. Okay? You don't just load someone up on a big bus and take them, you have to it's a big journey, okay? And they're already finding difficulty everywhere they're trying to go. The winds are against them, or they're going slowly, or they have to stop to get another ship. And it's just, right now, it's just slow going, okay? But that changes real quick. And since much time has passed, in verse 9, and the voyage was now dangerous, um, because even the fast was already over, meaning the time of year, the season they're trying to travel in is a dangerous time to travel by sea in that area, okay, is what he's saying. The fast is over. He's not, that's not a religious thing of like, we've already had the fast, now we're not supposed to travel. It's now the winds are just bad. <laughs> it's not a preferable time to be on the sea right now. Um, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also to us. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow, (laughs) it's terrible, by chance that somehow we would reach um, Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Um, So Paul kind of gets this, it's, it's more than him getting a feeling, it's him basically prophesying to them, saying, I'm perceiving this to go poorly, okay? So some, some writers will say that, like, no, that's not a prophecy. He's just saying, this is a bad time to travel. Please don't do it. I've traveled a lot kind of thing. But it seems more than that because of the rest of the story we get to. But basically he's saying to, to the centurion, hey, you've treated me really well. 
I know we've, we've, they've had some interaction at all. And he's saying, look, this is, this is not what we should do. Let's wait, okay? This is going to be bad for the ship, bad for the, um, the uh, cargo, bad for us. Our very lives are in danger. So we need, we need to think about this. But the centurion does what's actually pretty smart for the centurion to do, right? And who does he listen to? Hmm? Yeah. The actual sailors, right? Because Paul's, yeah, he's traveled a lot, but it's like, you know, Brian travels a lot for work, and it's like Brian telling a stewardess, hey, I don't think we should make this flight. I think it's going to be bad <laughs> for the cargo, and her being like, you shouldn't make this flight. That sounds awesome. You should leave. You're going to be a bad problem, right? That's, this isn't the centurion being ridiculous, okay? He's not like going against... God and everything good right now. He's just trying to use logic, and it doesn't seem that Paul would know, okay? And the way Paul explains it, he's not like, hey man, God told me in the night or anything. He's like, I'm perceiving this to be a bad choice, okay? So they're going from there, having Paul saying, look, this is, this is not what we should do. This is going to be dangerous for everyone. They're setting sail anyway. Even, even though the, the pilot of the ship, um, the crew and everyone, there seems to even be division there, okay? Because like, the majority of them says, Yes, let's continue. Let's winter in Phoenix, right? Or near Phoenix. Okay? So moving on. Uh, in verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. Starts out going great. All right? They're like, who's this guy, Paul? He hasn't sailed a ship. Look at this gentle south wind. Let's bring up the anchor. Let's do this. But soon... A tempestuous wind called a nor'easter, a northeaster, sorry, we're not in Boston, a northeaster, <laughs> struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were just driven along. Running under the lee, um, running under the lee of the small island called Kauda, um, we managed with difficulty to secure, secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, Fearing that it would run aground, it's certus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were just driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. What does that mean? Throw it overboard. Get it out of there, right? This is, it's so rough and so dangerous, they're just starting to get rid of the cargo. Um, sorry. And on the third day, the third day of the storm, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Meaning, okay, that phrase, with their own hands, throwing tackle over with their own hands, implies that it would hurt them to throw that over, okay? Like, the, the fact, it's like saying, um, I don't even know a good example. Yeah, it's something you don't want to do, but you had to do it with your own hands. It's like, it caused them great anxiety and frustration to have to throw the tackle over. It was important. They needed it but they were so afraid that even with their hands, they threw it off. It's like a, they're in a bad spot. It's just trying to imply again, Luke is trying to say over and over, it's incredibly dangerous that the crew and the sailors and the prisoners, everyone is quite afraid right now. Okay? They're doing everything they need, even getting rid of some of their livelihood, the cargo, everything. There's, they're not about making money on this voyage anymore. They're not about good standing with whatever port they're going to. They're not about keeping their heirloom tools and equipment that they've used forever. No, they're about living right now. And that's, that's where they're at. 
Um, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, as Luke says often, no small tempest lay on us. Yeah, they've already thrown off everything. Um, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, I love this. <laughs> Men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and lost. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I believe and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. <clears throat> and behold, God has granted you all and all those who sail with you. So take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as it has been told. But we must run aground on some island. Right? I know. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> this, I love this take heart idea. First of all, every time, every time that there's an angel comes to talk to someone in Scripture, they usually have to either say, don't be afraid, because they themselves are, are scary, right, and imposing or whatever, or they say, take heart, because someone's in a bad spot, okay? The angel, we, we need to get this right away. Paul hasn't, like, always known he's going to be safe through this. Must not have, okay? He asked them, let's not do this. This is not the way I get to Rome. This is not the way we survive a journey by going now. The ship is going to be smashed. You're going to lose everything. Let's not go. Then they go. And for two weeks, he's just a part of this. Like, bad time. Three days in, they almost abandon all hope of being Saved because they throw everything they would need if they are saved to make money and live and everything, right? So then, in the midst of this, two weeks in, an angel comes to him and says, take heart. You are not going to perish. And why is the reason he's not going to perish? Because he must go to Rome. It cannot be overstated, and, and we'll come back to it, but it cannot be overstated that God's purpose of having Paul like, tell his story, to tell of the way, to tell of this movement, this revolution, the kingdom of heaven at hand that's actually happening among people to Caesar, to Rome, is paramount to God right now. Right? That is what God has planned for Paul to do now. It is not going according to Paul's plan now. It's going poorly right? They haven't eaten for two weeks. No one has. They're being tossed about, worried they would die since day two and a half, the entire day, the entire night. No star has been seen. The sun has not been seen. It is, they are in a very bad way right now. This is, he needs to be told, Paul, paramount of faith we see him as, been in prison for two years, writing letters to churches that we'll get to eventually when we're done with Acts in a few years. And the whole thing, <laughs> the whole thing, Paul, this, this person who we idolize and we present as a hero, all these things must be needing to be told 
to like take heart. It's that bad a spot, okay? The angel again tells him, no, it is God's purpose for you to go to Rome. And then when he tells them even, right, take heart, we're not going to die. An angel has come and told me this. Does he know the rest of the story? No, right? He says, we'll run aground somewhere, right? (laughs) It would be helpful if he has all the details, right? It would be helpful if step by step was laid out for him, especially after what he's had to endure. I'm putting us in here at this point, by the way. Like, this is the us part. It would be helpful to know the outcome of this. This is not how I saw this going. It's not even how you and I saw this going, God, right? This is definitely not according to plan. And now I'm being told, take heart without details of anything. Just take heart. (laughs) Take heart. I'm going to make it. But Paul, in the midst of this, in the midst of this vision and a storm, a tempest, right? A, uh, everyone's worried. We are for real dying. We're not being saved. There's no salvation coming for us in this situation. Paul says, look, the God that I follow, this God that I worship, I do believe this. We're going to just need to ride this out. Does he tell him how many more days the storm's going to be? Tell him how much more of the cargo will be lost? You say where they'll land? What's going to await them there? Is it going to be dangerous? Are they going to be welcomed? None of that's known to him. Paul says, this God has told me this. Let's endure Let's do this together, right? And since they have not been with food for a long time, um, sorry, I went way back. Oh, here we are, 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing an island. So they took um, a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther, they took another sounding and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that that might run onto the rocks, that means they were, it was getting more shallow, right? They're, they're trying to judge how deep the sea is at this point. So they know they're getting close to something, and they're afraid, right? And it's at nighttime. Um, anyway, and fearing they would run onto the rocks, they let down four anchors in stern, um, at the stern and prayed for day to come. Um, another just feeling I'm sure some of us have currently, or we have had, or we're gonna. At some point, you just... I don't mean this to be cheesy. At some point, they just had to drop anchor and pray that the sun would rise. Just like, if we're going to hit something, I just want to see it, right? There's, all we have right now is to drop anchor and just hope real hard, pray to whatever. That's, their, that's the spot. That's where they're at. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship <clears throat> and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So we do that as well. We're just really riding it out together now, right? Let's cut the safety boat, or whatever it's called. What's the safety boat called? Help me. Lifeboat. Yes, thank you. That's exactly right. They cut the lifeboat. Thanks, Whitman. They cut the lifeboat, and they just drop it into the sea, And they're like, this is where we're going now. We're all doing this together. No lifeboat for anybody. This is how it's going to have to go. Um, And as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day, 
and you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from, perish from your head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God, in the presence of all of them, he broke it and began to eat it. It's like, I'm going to eat. Join me. Let's eat together. Um, then they were all encouraged, and some found food themselves. And listen to this. I don't know how many people you thought were on the ship. 276 people on the ship. That's way bigger than I had imagined before reading this again, to be honest. I imagined like 30 or something, right? 40. The ship is big. There's a lot of people on it. It's probably crammed and tight and frightening. That adds to me like the level of how afraid I would be and how small I would feel in the midst of all that and how trying to convince all of those people that everything's going to be okay is pretty impossible, right? This whole thing is just, to me, Luke telling us this is important because it just sets the stage even better for us, I feel. When they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes, they tied the rudder. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. I'm going to be real honest, I don't know what all that entails. I'm not, I have not been on a ship like that. They made so they could get there. That's what we're going to say about that. Um, But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck, uh, the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. And so the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered that all those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces from the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. We're going to keep reading. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered up a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. I would wonder what in the world, why? Why? Like I just got off of that ship that's about to be crushed and drowned me to be bitten by a snake, which is like my least favorite thing to imagine in my life. Like that's how his day goes. This is not awesome, all right? Um. Anyway, on verse 4, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. (laughs) Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Which Paul, in his weakest moments, probably thought the same. I am not being allowed to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly um, suddenly fall down dead, but when he had waited a long time and they saw no misfortune come into him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Just like that. There you go. Now in the neighborhood of that place um, were lands belonging to a chief of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that his father lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him and healed him. And when they had taken, uh, when he had, 
When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Okay. Thanks for reading through that with me, for real. Um, tried to break it up some. Um, so, reading that whole story in one sitting, it can be too easy for us and trite for us to say, see, it worked out. Even better than he thought it was gonna. Right? Um, here's what I don't want us to do. We have, at, at our church right now, we have a lot of, uh, we have stormy sailing. Let's be real honest. With, with so many of you. Um, please, don't think any of us are saying, see, it's going to work out just fine. Because it's not working out fine. We've got to get that in our language as we're talking to our friends who are in the midst of it right now in a bad way. Get that out of our mind and vocabulary. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be right. Time heals. This heals. Let's look at a bright man. It doesn't seem that way to them at all. Also, in the midst of that, um, none of you, in the midst of what you're going through in your life right now, planned this. I know that. You know, we know that. And man, the plans you had were just different than this, you know? People planned, not, not trying to be too personal about everything you are going through, use examples, but we don't plan to like have frustration being patient with our kids because we're sick. We don't plan that. It's not the way. First, it's not the way we hoped it would go, but it's just not, it doesn't feel like the way any of it's supposed to go, right? We don't plan on relationships being rocky and worse. We don't plan on being, I mean, we don't plan on new small things. We don't plan on being parents who have to work to parent. A lot of us just thought we'd naturally be good at that. And when we're not, it feels like you're just being tossed, you know? When marriage was supposed to be just better because you liked each other at some point, you know? I get that. We, we get that. Um, in the midst, though, of that, the kingdom of heaven, I can say this, the kingdom of heaven is very much at hand. And a lot of us just overly simple but true for us just need to be told take heart not it's going to be great or this will not be an issue in a year or oh don't worry betters around the corner or any of that you don't need to hear anything other than take heart angel comes to paul in the night when he also is afraid Maybe, that, maybe he's just afraid for his life, but it doesn't sound like he has been other times. He just doesn't want to suffer anymore. Maybe he's exhausted of it. Maybe he just is sad they're not going to get to Rome, and that was his life's work, and now he's worried he's not going to achieve it. 
And really the angel starts off just telling him, take heart. And so a lot of you, it's not the same as hearing it from an angel of the Lord in the night when you're like in it. I gladly tell you to take heart. All the way. And I say boldly with all of us, take ours as well. Like, we will take heart with you. We will. We're going to do it poorly, and we'll bumble through it, and we'll not return calls at the wrong time. And sometimes we'll ask too many questions. We'll flub that up too. Or we'll not know what to ask, so we'll ask nothing, and that's worse, right? Maybe. Or we're going to talk to you like we need to be talked to when we're in a bad spot, and that's going to be wrong, you know? But we want to take heart with you. So some of you that are, your life is pretty great right now. It's hard to share that even with some of your friends that are having a hard time. Take heart with them all the way. Recommit yourself to it all the way. It's not about if they made you feel good for asking. It's not about them saying thank you for whatever. We're just going to take heart, okay? Also, in the midst of in the midst of Paul, in the midst of the storm, and the ship, and everyone around him afraid, and him afraid, and the whole thing going to chaos, because he said, don't do it. Then they did it, and it's going poorly. The angel is, it's so interesting, that again reminds Paul, that's what's more important than, than Paul's anything, is this journey to Rome. Now, that is difficult to say to you, for real. Because, I, first of all, I don't know what all of our journeys to Rome are, right? Like, we're not all appealing to Caesar, so it doesn't translate the same, you know? And I don't know what, like, lies ahead or what you were hoping to lie ahead or what you thought was. I, I know in my life sometimes when I'm, like, have this thing I see about a year from now, I'm like, oh, I want to get there, I want that. That is where I'm headed, hopefully, for the love or... I feel like that's like this, um, not, not prophetic in that way where I have an angel there or anything, but I feel like this is my purpose or this, is, this, is, this season has this purpose and I feel like that's it and I'm doing it and I'm gonna. And then I encounter like hardship or frustration, usually, of, usually mine's of my own doing or my inadequacies and I worry if that's even gonna be possible. I, I really need to know a lot of times and I really need to hear no, that's more important than even my inadequacies in getting there. So God will get us there. And so for a lot of us too, we need to know, and you can translate it however you need to, and translate it however you want, but the idea that Paul was told, no, you will, be, you will not die from this. He didn't say, also don't worry about the viper, right? <laughs> There's going to be more unexpected junk to come at you. You're going to pick up a stick to stay warm in a Snake is even going to bite you. Like, it's not going to go well. He's not promised that at all. But he's promised that God's purpose through him will be fulfilled. He promises that at the end of this storm, he will have enough to live the kingdom of that hand, to do the works Paul writes even, right? He will be able to do the works prepared for him in advance to do. He will have that in him. 
And I want you to know, in the midst of your going through it also, that, that there may not be a coming out of the other side of it either. But in the midst of it, you will, with God, have everything in you ready to do the works prepared for you in advance to do. You do. You do. Mysteriously, his power will be made perfect in your weakness. Mysteriously, you'll have all you need and more to be more beautiful than before in the midst of it. You'll have all you need to to change this part of you. And I'm not saying that's the reason you're going through the storm is to change this thing. That's not it at all. But in the midst of that, you will be transformed with the Holy Spirit into who God is intending you to be. Paul, going through this, has everything left that he needs to accomplish his journey. Not because he's great and strong and wonderful, but because he also needs to be told, take heart. And then I don't want us also, along the way, to lose sight of what the along the way can be for us. Okay? So along the way, he goes to Malta. Doesn't want to be at Malta. Wants to be at Rome. For sure doesn't want to shipwreck at Malta with 276 of his closest prisoners and be there with snakes that strike you from the fire and all that stuff. Doesn't want to be there. That's not the plan at all. While he is going, as he is going, with God through the storm, and through his life, like he does time and time again, these opportunities come up that someone is in need. I'm sure sometimes he wished the opportunity came up for someone to just see he was in need, to be honest. Opportunity comes up that the chief of the village father is ill, and he gets to pray for him and lay his hands on him and heals the man. And everyone in town town, all over the island, whatever it is, bring their family that they're worried about, they bring their hopelessness to him. They lay their hopelessness at God's and his feet. And he's somehow in there still, in the midst of the disappointment of being imprisoned for two years, in the midst of being falsely accused day after day, in the midst of this terrible storm that's going to claim his life, in the midst of vipers and whatever else. There's no separation from God's power through him. There's none. Legitimately, the passage that Paul again writes because he knows and he experiences it. No life or death, no angels or demons, no sickness, nor health, nor anything else in all of creation is going to keep us from Christ's love, from being tied to it, bound into it. Not the feeling of Christ being happy with you. Not the feeling of him being like proud that you didn't mess up. That's not it. It's the happiness that comes from his just pleasure in loving us. And that can't be unbound by a storm or frustration or sickness or angels or demons or life or death. That's a part of it from the beginning, and it's a part of it now. And, and here we see it. In the midst of shipwreck and everything else, Paul says, no, you and I are still doing this. We're still healing people who are sick. We're still making right what the world has wronged. We are still hoping where there's hopelessness. We are giving that away together, Paul and God, and that's not stopping in the midst of storm or frustration or trouble. doesn't mean Paul is gleeful about it. Paul doesn't have to say, oh, you know what? That stopped. actually worked out. No, he's probably still, it's frustrating. But God and Paul are are still very much tied to each other. 
And so are all of you. You are. You can't choose to untie that in the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of your frustration. It's just part of you. And I will say too, for at least the ones I know what's going on in your life and that I see, you're showing that that's still true. We all see that. We do. We see God at work in you. See God at work in your lives to us. And we're whole because of it. So just know that.